Anthony Kiedis, his size is incredibly difficult to ascertain because one of the things that the human sensory system mm -hmm. uses or utilizes to gain knowledge of a thing or person's size mm. is to see that thing or mm. person. Mm -hmm. And that was not really possible. Anthony was a bit shy. Is it like yesterday? If you if you stare too long, then you'll go blind? <laughs> <laughs> no, it, I think literally he was just shy. Yeah. It was not... I'll tell you what happened. Up until the last day of the second tour, I had the feeling that if I went up to Anthony and introduced myself and said, Hi, I'm in Deerhoof. We're playing before you tonight. You'd be like, Oh, cool. I'm really looking forward to yeah. it. Having toured for... At that point, a month and a half on two separate tours yeah. in two different continents with many chances to potentially have seen each other. I would not have been surprised had he thought he was meeting me for the first time. Yeah. <laughs> but on the last day when we said goodbye, it became very clear that he actually knew exactly who we were. I have to assume that like it's horror of that size. It's, uh -huh. All of the logistics are just completely <laughs> different than what you're used to. It's not our logistics that yeah. are different. It's their logistics. I mean, but I mean, in terms of like crossing got, paths with them. How do you describe it? They got a show. Okay, regular Deer yeah. Hoof tour. I'm going to bore you with something that's not about yeah, right. Red Hot Chili Peppers for the approximately next 10 seconds. And say that a regular Deer Hoof tour, we mm -hmm. would play every night. On Red Hot Chili Peppers tour, the stage, the lights, the PA system, the other like LED candles that float above the audience and are computer controlled. All this stuff takes so much time to set up and tear down. Yeah. That it's one show every three days. Logistics for a Deerhoof tour way more complicated than our logistics for this tour because all we did was we play from eight to eight thirty. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we're done. So half an hour, three days, and then just <laughs> downtime. We ended up booking other shows. Okay, because we don't know what to do with downtime. <laughs> I mean, we just get on each other's nerves or something. The variation from venue to venue is nil. When yeah. you're playing arenas. Yeah. Coors Light Stadium one night and then Miller the next. <laughs> Canadian Tire Center, you know, whatever. Yeah. Heineken Music Hall, that's right. The stage is set with a special carpet that goes all the way across the stage so that we won't damage their actual stage. And on this carpet... They deer have proofed. The deer, they deer have, exactly. Or they tried. I still had kind of spiky uh, <laughs> kick drum, you know, spikes yeah. that were shooting yeah. out that may or may not have poked a hole. This carpet is what we call spiked. This is an industry term that people in tech such as yourself are not going to have any idea about. What it is is orange gaffer tape okay. is put down to indicate the positioning of every instrument, every amplifier, every monitor speaker. This means... That regardless of whether you're playing in Denmark or whether you're playing in uh, Montreal, the setup of Deerhoof's instruments and monitors is absolutely identical to the last time you played. Yeah. The person doing the monitors off to the side, who in other words is controlling the sound that we're hearing through speakers that are pointing towards us. Like in an arena, I needed a lot of John, who's on the other, you know, all the way across the stage, a huge stage, you know. There's no way I can hear him, so I need to have him in a speaker that's next to me, monitor. All the monitor engineer needs to do 
is press command O or something yeah. You know, yeah. on his console. Yeah. And the exact same mix we had three days ago from the last show is there. And it's like we start sound check and it's like, yeah, sounds the same. <laughs> We're fine. Okay, sound check's over. The variables are brought down to nothing. And for me, I'm the drummer in the band. And we have a very quiet singer in our band called Satomi, who is our lead singer. Mm-hmm. And over the many, many years of touring, it would be difficult for me to tabulate the total number of dirty looks that I've gotten from Satomi at one of our shows during one of our shows for playing too loud that she can't hear herself singing because Greggy over there smashing too hard yeah. clashing cymbals wanging on the snare drum snares tuned too tight everything is just ear crushing we're talking capacities 4 or 500 people we're talking capacity 4 or 500 down to capacity 80 yeah know? yeah <laughs> The smaller it is, yeah. the greater the Somebody's difficulty. Bathroom. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've never fit eighty people in my bathroom, but you know, you work in tech. You tried. You've got a big bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm trying to say is, you get to these arena shows. If you're the drummer, let her rip. Yeah. You can wail. It yeah. doesn't matter. Satomi can't hear yeah. you. You know, it, because there's no wall nearby. I'm saying there's no variables from show to show. It's surprising to me, though. It sounds like you found... Logistics were easy. In spite of the fact that you guys are known for some chaos in your live show, you found some positives to the sterile order of... Of course it was positive. I mean, we went on tour. We said yes to a second tour with them when they invited us after the end of the first one. They're like, we got to have you back. We're like, sign us up. It was really fun. Of course it was positive. Not because... What I'm describing about logistics and acoustics and the, the fact the sets only 30 minutes yeah. barely break a sweat would seem to make it easy it's an yeah. easy tour it's a cushy tour with catering every night with a huge buffet you're done at 8 30 <laughs> instead of done at three in the morning but the tour did not come without its challenges and actually it was the challenges that drew us to it more the main challenge of course was the audience who had already bought their tickets and sold out every single one yeah. of those shows yeah. before Deerhoof was even announced as being the opener. You weren't what pushed ticket sales over the edge. <laughs> not this time. I know normally we are. Not this time. Yeah. Nobody had ever heard of us. Okay. Yeah. It was absolute, just zero song recognition, zero idea who we were, even without the tweets that explained in great detail exactly how much the members of the audience hated whoever that opening band was whatever their name you was. get you yeah because we'd never announce it even without that it doesn't take a genius to look out into the audience with a whole bunch of people talking to each other or looking at their phones or just looking annoyed to get the sense that you're not quite communicating what you're intending to communicate to them this was incredible practice for us. We've been pretty lucky. We've yeah. been extremely lucky. When we play you our own shows, choir. it's like people come, they know the songs. They're so supportive and kind of forgiving if we, you know, okay, there's some mistakes in there. <laughs> Maybe somebody hit a wrong note or something breaks or, like you said, chaos. I mean, it's Yeah, in it's fact, people maybe amp- come to expect that an amp <laughs> exactly. is going to blow up during Exactly. So what greater pedestal could a band possibly be put on than that you know that's the red carpet treatment well you get to this and it's similar playing like large festivals and stuff this is the Um, spiked carpet treatment (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, now I know you're paying attention. I'm going to take this interview seriously from now on. <laughs> Should we just stop and start yeah, over start now? This Is this okay? Over. I'm saying it's a whole other skill yeah. to try to engage a disinterested audience that has never heard any music, in their opinion. Yeah. That, like yours. But you take that as a challenge rather than, you know, kind of give up halfway through? No way. I mean, you give up, you get rotten tomatoes. Yeah. I mean, stuff starts getting thrown yeah. at you. And we heard lots of stories from other friends, bands who had opened four Red Hot Chili Peppers and gotten stuff thrown at them. And so we were trying to avoid that particular outcome. Yeah. We found that the efforts that we were making on the Chili Peppers stage actually translated and on our off days when we played our own shows every change that we made to the set list or the arrangements or the tempos or the playing style all improved the songs even in the small venue we felt it unanimously and very dramatically and we realized that what this tour did and it was two tours so it happened twice was it gave us a new lens through which to hear our own music and and see what the flaws were potentially you do strike me as a group of musicians who like to take themselves out of their comfort zones Mm. where possible yeah well this was way out you can fool yourself I mean, like, okay, you know, Hector's here, our publicist yeah. is here, and it's like, okay, I can have endless conversations with with a, a publicist or a record label in which in our echo chamber we're able to convince each other that, yeah, Deerhoof is pop music, Deerhoof is perfectly likable, sing along, you know, and then all it takes is, boy, hit yeah. about the second bar of the first song in a different context where the audience is not on does not agree with that assumption yeah. um, as a starting point. And you realize, ooh. The other thing is the acoustics, although they were easy for me on stage because I could play as loud as I wanted, not easy for the audience. I mean, you're in an arena. You literally cannot find a worse place to play rock and roll than in a hockey arena. It's concrete walls, gigantic domed ceiling, no carpet anywhere, totally untreated. One favorite musical gesture that drummers like to do, for instance, if they play in a rock band, they would say, hit a drum, okay? Bam, all right? And we're here in a carpeted room, in a small room in your office, okay? And it goes, bam. Try that in a hockey arena. It's, That's how long the echo is. Yeah. It's about four or five seconds of just noise. During those four or five seconds, I've already played about, you know, 70 other notes, which now can't be heard. They're just creating a wash. I was just listening yesterday to one of my absolute favorite songs. There's a song, uh, a Duke Ellington uh, version of a song called um, Otto, Make That Riff Staccato. That's what it was all about. This is like, this is like my philosophy of life. This is my theme song, Make That Riff Staccato. Lose that old legato. In other words, staccato is playing everything yeah. short. These are, yeah. you know, Italian music terms. Play it all short. Every playing, note playing the is syllables. short. Yeah. yeah. Legato is when you play everything really smooth and it's just a wall of sound. So it was about trying to make things choppier, clearer, of course, visually bigger. We weren't up on their screen. Yeah, Yeah, they took three days to build this screen, but we weren't on it. (laughs) You know, that's for when the chili peppers go up. So we look like ants on this stage unless we were jumping up and down, waving our arms. Then maybe somebody could barely see what we were doing. So we had to just make it bold and big and and we had to slow down the tempos. Otherwise, it would just turn into mush, you know, just trying to make it clear. But 
it was crazy because then we found that that our own regular hedge, headlining shows in small places were also better after we'd made the the changes. Yeah. So we were struggling with it every day, going nuts. Ah. At the beginning of the tour, I mean, we were bombing so hard and feeling it. And by the end of each of the tours, <laughs> you know, maybe the last yeah. three shows of each yeah. of the legs, <laughs> um, we definitely had, you know, at least half the audience okay. definitely paying attention, kind of into it. In politics, they call it the floor. Donald Trump's floor is probably <laughs> yeah. about 33% right now. <laughs> Or actually, I guess in this case, there's there's you know a certain ceiling in terms of uh, people yeah. people who come to a Red Hot Chili Peppers. I guess I'm going to just make a <laughs> Here big <it> assumption <laughs> about a large group of people are largely the kind of people who go to a show expecting to know all the songs. It's more than that. It's not just expecting to. It's would feel that they had been ripped off if yeah. they did not hear specifically sure. Sure, these sure, 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 sure. specific songs that yeah. they reckon. But for you, them coming and not knowing who you are, you're only going to win over best case scenario a certain <laughs> percentage of the audience it's not that simple I, I i have never felt that it works that way but as the years have gone on i feel even more strongly that mm. there's not a one-time event a one-time opportunity in which you either do or don't win somebody over you brought it up not me last year's election okay so maybe the I first time I, I, I don't know who <laughs> uh, you mentioned some guy whose name starts with a t <laughs> there was another guy whose name started with an s his last name started with an s mm -hmm. whose ideas mm -hmm. upon first presentation yeah. sounded to many people to be completely outrageously yeah. ridiculous and unrealistic and here we are a year later. Not only are they not unrealistic, most people in the country want most of his entire platform, including Republicans, voters, want his platform. Is this the guy who had a bird land on him? Is that what we're talking one. about? Yeah, okay. you know what yeah, I'm yeah, talking yeah. about. I'm saying it's not just a one time you either win him over him or you yeah, don't. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of times hate can turn into love. And that's happened a lot of times with Deerhoof, where somebody who is the most intense in their dislike. Yeah. And, I mean, it's happened to me. With, as a listener with many other bands, I oh, I hate that song, I hate that song, and then by about the fourth yeah. time, man, I love that song. Yeah. <laughs> it happens all the time. In that given setting, though, you're only going to win over a certain amount, but what you're saying is that there's like a slow burn over time that, that you planted the seed, that it can grow. <laughs> but again, there might be that ceiling of people that you're going to win over in the moment. Like, half sounds still, pretty good. Still, no, yeah, and I agree. I agree. I, and even what I was saying about half was just that they were engaged. They yeah. were paying attention. I don't know if they liked it. Yeah. But I also want to say that them liking it, other people, quote unquote, liking what you do is not the only goal of organizing sound into patterns that we call music. There can be many purposes. Yeah. Now, that's in the, in the neoliberal economy that would appear to be the only purpose, but it's not. There are other purposes and there have been many other purposes throughout the history of humankind for music. There could be for dancing. It could be for worship. It could be for sex it could be for flirting it could be for thinking you could be doing it for yourself you could be doing it for your friend you could be doing it for a large audience you could be doing it as a ritual there are many possible purposes and and i'm don't i'm not particularly inclined to want to close myself off sure. to any of them and so whether they like me or not the reason i'm saying this is not just an abstraction when i said that at the beginning of the tour we were bombing and by the end we were pulling it off a lot of that had to do with the confidence and for me i would sit there at the drums and i realized i need to look at the audience in the eye yeah as they are hating what i'm doing and i need to 
make it very clear that even if they hate it, yes, I'm doing this on purpose, I'm doing this for you, I'm playing this to you, and I like it, I love it, this is what yeah. I do, this is what comes out of me. This, this is not is, a joke. This is, yeah, even if it is a joke, I mean, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I mean, we could be a comedian, yeah. too. Comedians might, but they bomb all the time, too. Yeah. But there's something about confidence, yeah. you know, where you where you look the audience in the eye and, and you say, okay, you might hate what I'm doing, but I am a human being on this earth and this is what I do. And now you know that this some people do this. And that has its own value, whether you like it or not. In the early stages, were you nervous? I mean, I'm, I'm sure that you played to large shows, but largely at festivals where there are more potentially kind of like-minded people and people who have come out. You'd be surprised. It's, it's the opposite of what you think. The scariest shows are the 80, show, 80 capacity yeah. shows in the bathroom where only your friends show up who've seen you play a million yeah. times and are sick of all your songs. That's the one where literally I get butterflies and I'm yeah. nervous and I feel really an intense pressure mm. and stress like I really better bring it tonight. The weird thing, and I think this is a very difficult Actually, one of the big challenges of not only being an opening band for Red Hot Chili Peppers, but I mean, I'm going on a limb here, but possibly even being Red Hot Chili Peppers is that actually the stakes are a bit lower yeah. when it's 20,000 people People out are in there. an abstraction. If you succeed in having put the recognizable hit in your set list, yeah. then most of your work is done. Who cares if you played a fancy fill at the end of the eighth yeah. bar in the yeah. second verse of Under the Bridge on that particular version on that night? The stakes are low. It's it's not that it's bad if you do that, but it's also not that it's particularly noteworthy if you do it either. And for the opening band, most of the audience had no expectation, and they are just waiting for you to be over with so the chili peppers come on. I found myself wishing to be more nervous, you know, wishing to... Trying to find and, and Flea did this all the time, trying to rev himself up to to maximize his own intensity and enthusiasm yeah. pre-show to to try and mentally prepare for the job he felt he needed to do in order to satisfy himself. Now he could have just stood there and, and play all those parts perfectly, you know, or pseudo perfectly. It's pretty hard to hear in yeah. an arena, like I said. If he'd played it close enough. It might not have made that much of a difference, but no. I mean, this guy, we, we've met him the first night, first show. He and Josh Klinghoffer walked into our backstage to introduce themselves. Klinghoffer opens the door, or maybe knocks, and I open it. In walk these two, and Flea is not only wearing the bass, but is in the middle of woodshedding. I mean, he's like, his fingers are flapping away. I mean, there was no point during the conversation that we had for the next 20 minutes where he had even a moment's pause. And then before the show, he's on the exercise bike. He's jumping up and down. I mean, he's he's already completely sweaty by the time he walks on at yeah. the beginning of the show. And he knows it. I mean, he he's we we had many conversations about it and as one's years advance, it's more and more of a a challenge and a yeah. battle and and kind of uphill to fight entropy and to to maintain yeah. energy and to <laughs> And uh, I think with the big show, I think it's kind of the opposite. It's not like anybody got stage fright. It was that you wanted to simulate stage fright. Usually when we think about bands that are avant-garde or, or experimental, mm. I, I don't think they as actively generally engage in 
um, this idea of like how do we connect with people? I mean, in some cases, like no. alienation is part of the I see what you the mean. battle, but that's not the case with you. Yeah, I mean, you go play again, the show. All I gotta say, it's not that I disagree, but it's also not that simple because yeah. you talk to Flea, you talk to Josh, and I talked to them a lot. And frankly, even if you don't talk to them, you go to the show, you just listen to what they say into that microphone. They think they're an avant-garde band. Hmm. They walk on that stage. The first thing they do, start an improvisation. No plan whatsoever. Jam. Nope. Jam. I mean an improvisation. Yeah. You just said improvisate. They're avant-garde improvisate. Okay, maybe it's not avant-garde. It's a funk jam. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's, know, it's not, it's not a, a, a tight two-minute. Yeah, but it, it, it's about two-minute. Yeah. And they do an improvisation. Then they play the first song. And then they do another improvisation. Yeah. And I mean, Flea just makes up something on the bass. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes it's good, but Chad doesn't understand where beat one is. And he comes in on the on the drum part, and then Flea turns around and gets really confused. This happened multiple times yeah. every single night. They were taking serious chances. I have never seen a band do it. Yeah. Grateful Dead was the only... I mean, obviously, they had a lot of improvisation, so they were on a tight rope every single night, yeah. um, even more than the Chili Peppers. But other than that, this is the loosest, kind of most risk-taking band. You guys have been doing this for, what, 22 years? Close to 22 like years that, at, yeah. at this point. Long enough that if you were a person, you would be legally I able am to a drink. Person. That if you as a band were a person, <laughs> you would be able to... other than water. Yeah, right yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, one of the striking things about the band is, for the most part, over the years, it's been pretty consistent <laughs> in terms of membership. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we've had a couple of people quit. Yeah, but mm. still, again, over the span of 22 years, yeah, pretty yeah, good. Yeah. I think so, too. But switching it up every night, is, is that part of it? Do you have to keep it interesting? I'm starting to notice a pattern in my answers, <laughs> for which I would now like to apologize. But <laughs> I feel that the answer is yes, because, okay, you might start by deliberately switching it up. When you don't switch it up the next night, you feel that you want to switch it up. Like, in other words, the first night you decide, like, guys, this song isn't working. Can you change that A flat to a B flat on that one part? But then the next night they play the B flat again and you're like, in the middle of the performance, you're like, sounds still not right. You know, I play something different that I didn't play. It happens spontaneously. It happens of its own accord. Like magic, you know, and, and it, the music starts changing itself up for you yeah. against your will at times. Yeah. And then... Another layer happens, which is uh, then somebody hears Deerhoof more than one time. They go to two shows or they hear two records or something like that, and they come to expect things to be changed. They expect surprises. They expect it to be unpredictable and actually would be disappointed if they knew what you were going to do. And that you, before you know it, you realize you've created a reputation almost by accident <laughs> for changing it up. And then you're stuck. I mean, that's what you got to do. And I have to say, being stuck, being expected to change up is like the holy grail yeah. for a creative person. I mean, yeah. I really feel we have the best fans that any band has yeah. and that we are the luckiest band in the history of bands because that's the pressure we're getting is like, surprise me, do something creative, you yeah. know, do something I, I didn't think you would do. You're being asked to 
supply yourself with lifeblood and nourishment. There must be times, though, on a one of the longer tours when you're like halfway through a stretch where where you kind of maybe do want to go through the motions. I mean, you know, there are times when you're sort of mentally checked out or tired or it's it's hard to I'm really surprise people. That, that has never happened with performers, with performing artists. Yeah. Obviously it has. It doesn't happen with us. No. I'm looking at like live videos of Keith Richards all the time. Like I've got so many Rolling Stones live concerts yeah. on my computer. I mean, you just look in this guy's eyes. I mean, no. He is not going through any emotions. Yeah. He loves playing the guitar. He cannot wait those hours where he's not on stage and waiting to get up there and play Satisfaction yeah. again is like, I mean, I'm sure he has a good time and all, but. <laughs> um, yeah, I think Keith Richards is <laughs> probably filling is, his I, hours with. <laughs> the reality is he cannot wait to sink his teeth into those songs yeah. again. And uh, that's exactly the way I feel. My dream, my ideal in Deerhoof is that we play the exact same set list every single night, you know, and not have any variation so that we don't have to think about what song's coming next. It's purely just the playing, the moment-to-moment music, and there's nothing to sort of like, oh, I have to remind myself this other song's coming, or, oh, I need to look down at this piece of paper that tells me what's coming next, or I have to remember what John told me to do in this one part where I usually play it too fast. I want it to be like, the set list has been memorized, and it's second nature, you don't have to think about it. Now what you're going to do is really start making some music. You find a way to be playful with the, the, the music is just the raw material that you start with, but you throw it away. You forget about it. There's that Wittgenstein image of, of you know, climbing the ladder to get to the to the roof. And then once you're there, you don't need a ladder anymore. Yeah. You throw the ladder away. And, and that that's what how I like to feel. And so that's why I think I like the set list and stuff like that to be simple. It's just an invitation to make it be interesting and, and to not go through the motions at all. So are you somebody, when it comes to making an album or doing anything else creative, that you feel like you need to set some constraints for yourself yes and no i am seeing a pattern in your answers (laughs) because sometimes all right come on now but this is real sometimes the constraints are set for you sure here we were in december last year feeling like hanging up our band you know to say forget it you know what in the world are we even bothering with this for anymore you're talking about bigger problems (laughs) i am talking about bigger problems yeah and the next thing we know along come joyful noise record label say hey guys we were thinking would you like to put out a record on our label this year and while you're at it for others they they wanted us to be their artist in residence which means put out a box set of five lps in one year collaboration side projects anything and suddenly we were like yeah we want to do that of course <laughs> you know we had the suddenly a bark of a reason a motivation but also a limitation because we needed to start turning stuff in pretty soon. And then the Deerhoof full length, which we had not even started, a single note of, you know, was due in like three months or something. So even without us self-limiting, a really strict time limitation was imposed that caused us to work in a way that we don't normally work, which was normally we would try really hard to have every song have significant participation by every band member. But in this case, we were in such a rush, and we didn't even have a scheduled meeting between December 
and when the album was due, where we were all going to even be in the same city at the same time. Yeah. So everybody got to work on their own. Some of the songs are just one of us playing all the instruments. And everybody was like, yeah, that sounds great. Let's do it. Let's keep it. And then we were also kind of farming out a lot of the vocals to guest singers which we had never done before so we were emailing a bunch of friends and sometimes strangers just heroes of ours would you be interested singing in singing on this deerhoof song and send like a scratch vocal and they'd email back something they'd recorded in their apartment you know we'd mix it in it's all happened so fast and it was like yeah to really answer your question yes and the limitation yeah it 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 ends up creating the work yeah. to a large extent. In terms of individual band members going off and, and recording their own thing, uh, do you think part of the reason why that works out so well is because you've been playing together for so long and sort of have an idea of what everybody's bringing to the table or even like some... I know this is going to sound yeah. kind of silly because what? things differ so much from, from <laughs> album to album but that, that there is some sort of like abstract idea of what a deer hoof song is no and in fact i i think we all secretly hope that that there isn't yeah and that the our bandmates will manage to yet again surprise yeah. us with something and I, and i do feel that over the years what has happened if there has been a pattern it's been to lose a sense of that stereotype yeah and to each person gets a little less shy it's like when when like say john first joins the band in 1999 and it's like you know we don't know john that well he that, he, that newbie who he's joined a newbie the band in and he already he'd been to a bunch of deer hoof shows he yeah. likes the band he thinks we're cool um he doesn't want to screw it up so yeah. you know he's shy he's like bringing in some songs but he he's hoping to find songs that he thinks would sort of fit into what he sees as our aesthetic but of course our aesthetic yeah, was yeah. just what had randomly happened yeah until that that particular lineup over time that gets dropped away and everybody starts revealing more and more of like well secretly the kind of music i really wish i was doing was this and it's often something very surprising and very different than anything there have had done before it sounds a little crazy to say this after so many years but i still find that each member is still like another layer to the onion yeah. that's getting peeled off and i realize like wait you can do that, too. I was yeah. going to ask if, if part of the appeal of the new project was hmm. bringing new people in and whether yeah. that was something you kind of had to do after playing together for so long to yeah. sort of bring in some new blood. But it sounds yeah. like that's not the case, that it's helpful, but it wasn't necessary. We didn't know what it would be. We we are so kind of DIY and hermit-like normally when we're working that we had just thought yeah. that like that's how to do it, you know? That's how to keep it logistically simple. I think we just felt after Election Day that, you know, and it's not just about Election Day, but, it, you know, it's just a kind of a general atmosphere of wanting to connect more, wanting to reach out more. It's, it sounds like cliches, but it turned out into an actual real change for us this year. Some of the, A couple of these people are people we've toured with before. Juana Molina, mm -hmm. Aquafina, Senia Rubinos. We've toured with them. Always the last day of tour. It's like, oh, this tour has been so much fun. Yeah. Let's definitely do something yeah, in the yeah, future. Yeah. we got to do yeah. something. we got to do a project. we got to do collaboration. Then it's like, okay, then you end up not doing the collaboration. It's like, well, it's like running into somebody and being <laughs> on the street and being like, hey, right, we, we got to go so long. Exactly. Let's go get, get the drink dinner. soon. You and you just it. don't. Yeah. This time, yeah. for whatever reason, that's what we did. And additionally, with some people that we didn't actually know. It was just shocking how satisfying and, I mean, yeah. beautiful of an experience it was. And get other perspectives on what we thought our songs were. People were sending back 
vocal harmonies and backup stuff and counter melodies and other ideas that we would never have thought of are on our own so far beyond the call of duty what yeah. they did that it was so well it was a thrill it's gonna be hard to go back actually it sounds like you've grown more in the last couple of years than you have you know for, well, for thank a while you now. thank I you mean. i i think with this lineup which has been stable since 2008 i think you know, we kind of got over a hump. I mean, we continued to work all of that time. We were touring constantly, yeah. but my parents were in the Peace Corps, and they sometimes tell me this story of this sort of Peace Corps model of, okay, you go to the country. I was born in Chile, <laughs> where my where my parents had just moved. You arrive in Chile. Wow. It's so exciting here. It's exotic. It's a new place. Everybody's smiling at me. All the food tastes new and all lifestyle is so incredible. And it's nothing but constant thrills and excitement. The honeymoon period. Yeah. Stage one. Yeah. And then stage two at some point sets in. It's like, ah, I'm getting homesick. Yeah. This is getting repetitive. Those people that smile at me, I realize they're never really going to be my close friend. They were just being polite. I'm never going to fit in here. This is like a foreign culture. I'm alienated. I'm an outsider. It's hard. I'm starting to get a little testy. I'm starting to get irritable. I don't like it. Then, for those who manage to reach this point, they sort of describe this stage three where they kind of started to actually fit in. And they started to find their own place in a new society. It wasn't new anymore. And they got over some hump. And they found a way that they were able to be happy in a new context. And, you know, the band doesn't talk about it a lot on uh, podcasts or anything. But, you know, I mean, we certainly had ups and downs and uh, conflict within the band and struggles, uh, personal struggles and stuff. And... um, it's a bit like that Metallica movie, you know. This is <laughs> such a great movie because it's a nutshell of the exact list of <laughs> the problems that every band had. Power struggles, yeah. aesthetic troubles, yeah. personality clashes, yeah. history stuff, you know, vendettas, um, grudges, communication breakdowns. Were you surprised when you watched that how closely you related to Metallica? Of course, of course. <laughs> No, I mean, it's shocking. Yeah. I watch that movie all the time. Yeah, yeah, I've seen that, that reason. a few times myself. I, I think that is such a brilliant piece. I mean, and uh, so, I mean, in our case, it wasn't, you know, it didn't conform identically yeah. to the Metallica yeah. model. But, you know, are we you're definitely not, had You're sim- not the Lars of the band, are you? <laughs> well, I am the drummer, <laughs> <Yeah>. you know. <laughs> yeah, I kind of am, actually, yeah. I would have to say. I mean, if if there's anybody in the band who has a tendency to be controlling yeah. or kind of annoyed that the other members are not putting in as many yeah. hours as as one is that would be Lars and Metallica that'd be me you're also the through line i mean you're the you're the consistent <laughs> yeah. member i mean i don't know if that's why but yeah. but you don't maybe feel a special why. ownership because you really started maybe, the thing maybe i mean having seen Having seen how many times the band almost bit the dust, yeah. yeah, you kind of have an investment in it, and you're you're trying to save it from doom over and every with every album. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I don't know, I don't know if you've listened to any indie rock over the past twenty two years, but Couple you know, you may notice that uh, it doesn't have to be indie rock either. It's almost any genre, pop music. Lifespan tends to be short. Yeah, the guillotine can can fall at any second. And it's a creative challenge, you know, 
how to uh, avoid the yeah. slice of that particular blade. You yeah, know? and the, you know, and I've, I've talked to a few musicians about this lately. There's for a lot of people, there's this kind of like almost like a postpartum depression of putting an album ah, out into the yeah, world. Yeah, totally. You know, you, you you spend all this time working on something, and then it's there, and then all of a sudden, the existential dread <laughs> yeah. kind of kicks in, right? Yeah, or just you know, you realize that it's not yours anymore. And that's both that's both yeah. a blessing and a curse. It's yeah. both a cause for celebration and a cause for mourning. It graduates, becomes its own thing. It also can very most likely of all is it has a very short lifespan yeah. in the press or in the sort of consciousness of people's attention. And it's so much more of a crapshoot than it was before in terms of like you don't know what state the record industry is going to be when one thing comes out. Six months ahead, exactly. Or even like what label you're going to be with or how much money that label is going to have to promote it. So something could completely fall flat through no (laughs) fault of your own. Yeah, force majeure. But that's also also part of the game that you're playing when you make the songs in the first place or when you're booking a tour or when you're working with a publicist trying to say like, you know, with every band in the universe trying to make political records in 2017, it's like, I mean, when's this podcast going to air? Because the world might be over by then. (laughs) So air it soon. Hopefully right before. The unpredictability is very much built in. Yeah. I mean, that that's part of the structure of the dance you're doing. And you therefore want to write songs that, or at least I enjoy the challenge of trying to write songs that communicate gratitude towards life should it be about to come to an end due yep. to some nuclear detonation. Or communicates, the same song maybe tries to communicate a kind of pep talk or a, or emboldening and optimism don't stop struggling against oppressive forces should there actually be a chance yeah. for something revolutionary and good to happen. Or that the song can work for a person who's just suffered a breakup in their life or a person who's newly infatuated with somebody or a person who just lost their job or a person who is a musician and doesn't know what kind of music they want to yeah. play. You know, you're trying to think of those unpredictable yeah. future possible things, you know, and many of them can be true at once yeah. and are. It's kind of like putting your music to many mental tests before you release it. And if a song kind of works as a sort of like anti-government thing, but then doesn't work as a like breakup song, then then it's like, Okay, let's set that put yeah. that one on the back burner. We got to work on that one some more. Like the Quincy Jones Motown test of when you mix the album of playing <laughs> yeah. it on the, the shittiest car speakers you possible. You got it. You got it. Wait, so you're allowed to cuss on this? Oh, yeah. I've been holding oh. back. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> Here it comes. <laughs> no. No, no, I'm, I'm straight edge. I don't use any bad words. Exactly. I yeah. mean, that that's another thing. We we mix our own yeah. records, master our own records. So always we're doing the yeah. those kind of audio tests. What it sound like from the other room? What's it sound like through the iPhone, you know, what's it sound like on a huge stereo played really loud? Definitely. You're trying to create something that has legs or that has a life potential lifespan that could maybe survive. You're trying to write a song that you yourself want to play in another 20 years, you know, that you're still going to like and still has some some meat on the bones that you can still play around with. Like it's a simple enough song that you can still be introducing new changes into it every night. I'm sure it differs quite a bit from time to time, but in those dark moments of what are we doing here and why have we been doing <laughs> yeah. this for so long, what's the answer that, that keeps you going? What, what's, 
what's kept the project going for so long. I mean, I don't know. Love. I mean, we love it. We love each other. We love music. We love playing. And uh, we're a weird combination of people, you know, in our particular band that might seem like we wouldn't really get along particularly well or have the same taste in music, but we just happen to gradually have developed some weird rapport. Yeah. That's unique to us. Like, for instance, if I play with other people, which I do all the time, the vibe is different. It's a different atmosphere. My role becomes different. The, the purpose of something, you know, me playing the drums becomes different with different personalities, mm-hmm. you know. And just that we, we found a way that we all... There's a funny thing. That, okay, I can give an example. We just yesterday got back from a tour in Canada. Three days. Two of us drove up. Two flew separately. Two drove up. It's like when we have two people in the car, the rapport's fine. Yeah. We get along fine. It's not particularly fun. It's not particularly funny. <laughs> it's just fine. Yeah. Okay? Third person shows up. You know, maybe see him at the hotel or airport or something like that. Hey, how you been? Okay, everything, you know, everybody's getting along fine. That fourth person shows up. It's not because there's anything special about the f- yeah. that fourth person. It's just when all four of us huh. are there, suddenly this chemistry. Yeah. And we all know exactly, I don't know. It's just where we stand with each other, what 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 role to play, and and like I can say something in the group that would be hurtful if I said it just to the one person face to face, you know, tease them about something. Yeah. But in the group, there's an understanding and a communication, and it's the same in the musical communication where any one of us can do something either obnoxious or sort of weak and and looking for sympathy or <laughs> really strict or a little bit lazy. Whatever, and we know that the other three will find a yeah. way to accommodate yeah. it or cover for it or get excited by it or make something out of it or whatever. It's been a while since you've you've had to bring a new member into the band, but I have to imagine that given like how exacting that chemistry is, that anytime somebody leaves, like there must be cause <laughs> to wonder whether or not you're going to be able to recapture that. Oh, man. I mean, you don't recapture it. Okay. You create something new. But somehow it's been... <laughs> good throughout regardless of the fact that yeah but i think it has to do with you know the fact that we aren't the red hot chili peppers and we don't have hits to play we don't we are not expected to play this exact song we never had a hit we're just some obscure small time band you know hand to mouth any given person who comes to the merch table and wants to chat to me and say i hope you play this song or this album is my favorite or this is when i got into you guys Every one of them is talking about a different song yeah. or a different album. What that means is that not only is it okay for you to recreate the band again and again, but it's actually that's that's actually what you're being compelled to do. And I mean, even even when the members stay consistent, you're recreating the band from scratch every time, trying to. And uh, <laughs> it's never about recapturing. There you go. That was Greg Sonier of Deerhoof. I was very insistent before the interview that I really wanted to talk about what it was like for a band like Deerhoof to tour with the Red Hot Chili Peppers. Not once, but twice. So thanks to him for humoring me on that. Really enjoyed that conversation. Lots of Deerhoof for you to check out if you haven't already, but their latest record is called Mountain Moves. It came out in September on Joyful Noise. Thanks to him. Thanks to the band. Thanks to Hector for helping set that up. Uh, Thanks to you guys, as always, for listening to the program. If you like the show, there are a couple of ways to support RIYL. You can uh, give us a couple bucks over on our Patreon. If you 
are sick and tired of um, spending small increments of money on different pieces of free web content, then please consider rating us on iTunes or regular podcasts. You can uh, like us on Facebook as well. If you've got any feedback, it's rylcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Tumblr. That's rylcast.tumblr.com. That is the first and best place to get all your R-I-Y-L related information. And I think that's about all I got for this week. So stick around because we'll be back just about this time next week with another episode of R-I-Y-L. <laughs>